0: Welcome back to the podcast of the River Anglican Church in Blacksburg, Virginia. Today, as we continue the Capital Campaign series, Imagine, Jonathan talks about King David and an instance from his life where he made an investment. So here's Jonathan. Let's
1: pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this time to look into your word, your powerful, comforting, challenging word. God, would you give us an eagerness and an excitement to hear Lord, not from me, but from you, God, we want to experience you and encounter you as you open our eyes to your scriptures. And all God's people said, amen. <clears throat> well, good morning. You may be seated. So yeah, so if you have us, if there's a smell like burnt rubber or like an electrical fire, that's actually me uh, this morning because I had an interaction with a skunk in my backyard. Uh, so I just want to share that there's nothing, um, you know, we're not in danger, uh, at least from, from anything burning except for me. But went to Home Depot this morning to buy some lights for the church as we decorate the fellowship hall. And the gal who was checking me out said, "Had an interaction with a skunk, have you?" And I said, "Yes, I have. Thank you so much." But yeah, good morning to those who I haven't met yet. My name is Jonathan Tag, and. I continue my ministry of self deprecation. But last week we began a series based on uh, the, the uh, Imagine Initiative. And uh, we're calling it Imagine. And it's based on this scripture verse, Ephesians 3 Not a Him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us. And uh, the series is going to look like this. Last week, we talked about God's heart for space and place, and we set some biblical foundations. Week two is uh, this week, Hearts and Habits, and we're talking about sacrifice. Week three, next week, Don Linscott is preaching, who's been advising us through this process, and I'm really excited that you can hear him. He's talking about obstacles to giving. Week four, influencing Week five, we're, talk, we're going to summarize and talk about choice. So before we get to the passage today, there's a video that I want to show of some of our folks explaining why they're encouraged by this initiative that we're launching. So let's go ahead and roll that video, if you would.
0: The campaign is another step in the journey of the river toward owning our own property.
2: I like to think that the campaign is going to provide us with a permanent home that will be the base for ministry and outreach to the New River Valley.
3: I think the capital campaign is, for the rivers, unique to maybe other capital campaigns that have a really defined final product. And I'm okay with that because it feels like being renters um, and being in an active and, and hopefully growing and recovering church after COVID, um, that we are taking what I think is a financially responsible and biblically responsible step um, to make sure that our future isn't interrupted by not having a space.
0: When we finally do own our own building, that will be after approximately 20 years of being an itinerant church.
3: We have to be financially responsible um, to, to take a step in faith and say um, it's an opportunity were to present itself. Would we be ready? And so I feel like I hope that the Capital Campaign helps us not just become financially ready, but to also think in faith about um, where do we want the river to go as far as ministries, the people that serving, in um, the space, we need to do that.
0: The campaign is—it uh, has a financial component to it. It would be silly to try to deny that. Um, but that's not the—that's not the main purpose. Uh, it's really a—it's really a faith journey. Um, we're asking people to seek God and um, seek His guidance about how they can be involved. And then to follow that guidance and make a commitment and follow through with that commitment.
2: Fifteen years in, we're just a, a lot more grown up now than we we have been at any point up until now, and um, and that means accepting some responsibilities about um, being a, a more kind of a permanent uh, resident in the New River Valley, and knowing that we. Um, I think it's only responsible to think about having our own place.
3: Um, Dreaming of something that is, that feels currently out of bounds, out of reach right now, something that seems a little more fantastical than we could imagine right now. Um, I think we're being asked to dream what that could be during this process.
0: And it's a journey that we're going to be taking um, as a body, as a congregation,
2: Now, we're going to each be asked to commit monetarily and uh, sacrificially, but it will also give us a chance to discover our own gifts and the gifts of others.
3: Um, It seems like it's the financially responsible and faithful move um, to be able to say, "We, um, we are not in a panic over what's next. We have thoughtfully and prayerfully considered what our next steps will be, and we have Um, the financial resources to be able to move forward and to um, not make knee-jerk reactions, um, not go into a tremendous amount of debt, um, but to say, like, this body came together, they brought all their time and talents, made a little bit of sacrifice, um, knowing that the next step um, that we couldn't see quite yet was being prepared for us, and we were gonna try to do our part to be ready for that.
2: It will be a place where people will gather together worship the Lord, to be in community, and to um, allow God to work through us to do the work that he wants to do in the place where he's put us.
3: But I think this campaign is coming in a timely place in the way that um, we're being asked to dream what is possible for the river and its ministry. So it would be really great to see all of the wonderful things about the river now, our relationships, our welcomeness, graciousness, um, our ability to live sometimes in tension of we're not um, all from the same background or do we all believe the exact same things, um, but we are really great at being the body of Christ together.
1: and for Jennifer and for Gray, so we can give them a hand and thank you for, for that, yeah, for putting yourselves out there. So um, if you come this morning and you're a newcomer, I mean this uh, series is about so much more than just raising money for a building, it's about faith and sacrifice and I believe you're going to see that as we roll along even today. So the passage I want to look at with you is 2 Samuel 24. If you want to open a Bible or a phone or just listen, that's fine. But we are going to look at Second Samuel 24 as our uh, primary text. And I want to make some observations um, beginning at verse 18. As Chris Meckley read in this passage, we see that God commanded uh, David to build an altar, and he was very specific about the piece of land that he had chosen. And so in order to build the altar, you know, David had to procure the land. And just a reminder, last week we talked about how God had commanded the tabernacle to be built in a very specific place and a, a, a specific way with specific materials. And this week we're talking about the construction of an altar and the purchase of a piece of property. And what we learn from this, just, just from the ounce outset, is that space and place matter very much to God where people are planted where we are strategically placed in this new river valley where we land eventually as a church the facility that God provides for us all that deeply matters to God because we see that all throughout history of the church and the history of the bible but secondly i want to note that aruna was willing to give the land as you can see in your scripture to david was willing to offer it to him for nothing, as well as the offerings for sacrifice. And David could have accepted those gifts, and he could have just turned around and given them to the Lord. There's nothing that I see that's prohibitive about that. And I'm thinking, well, what's the harm in this? What, what's the harm in David doing that? But David saw something different than I see and maybe than you see. David saw danger in giving something to the Lord, in sacrificing something to the Lord that really was not sacrificial. Verse 24 says this But the king replied to Aruna No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David understood, hopefully we will begin to understand, that God honors sacrifice. Now let me think, think with you, uh, let me think with me, sorry, about this scenario. So a guy comes into our church, and uh, he's a wealth, wealthy benefactor, and, and he says, you know, look, I don't want you to really bother the river people with this initiative thing. I've, I've got more money that I know what to do with and I'm just going to drop $5 million, right? And so you don't have to mess with uh, you know, the initiative and all the behind-the-scenes work and, and the time and energy and the resources and the meetings and all that kind of stuff you guys are doing. And uh, so just accept this money. And most pastors, of course, would be like jumping up and down, right? Like, yeah! But in light of this passage, it doesn't appear that David would be jumping up and down, Wait a second, wouldn't it be really nice for us to not have to pinch pennies or stretch dollars or not have to take risks that there are risks associated to faith and sacrifice? What about if we could use that money and like do like a river trip to Mexico? <laughs> wouldn't that be awesome? Take a little bit of that five, no, don't take any of the five million. That would really be bad, right? But perhaps doing something different in our, perhaps God is doing something different in our life, just like he was in Israel life, in Israel's life. This command to build, this initiative that God gave David was more than about money, just like we believe that this is more about than money. Perhaps it's the Lord being honored by our response to his leading, our obedience to his leading, our faith to his leading, Maybe it's not about the end result of what dollar sign we get, but maybe it's the journey of getting there that we would never go through if we did not have this initiative. And so by accepting a gift, whether it's a gift from somebody of $5 million or David just accepting this property and turn around and pretending that he's sacrificing to the Lord, we would be deviating from what God has for you and God has for me. And so to me, this brought up a very kind of you know, basic question, which is, what is sacrifice? And that's what I want to talk about for a minute. Well, the little word for sacrifice in the scriptures is offering. A sacrifice is something we give to God. It's, it's a thing. It's an object. It's not just like a desire or an intention. It's something that we value. It's something of value that we debit from our lives and we credit and give to God. Romans 12.1 says this. Therefore, do we have slides or no? Thank you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we'll get there, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Notice he says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's not like intangible. Our bodies is our time and our energies and our passions and our creativity and our ingenuity and our our talents and our resources. That's what's composed in our bodies. A sacrifice is ultimately something that we give to God. It's a choice and a decision and a gift. So last week, we pointed out, by the way, that the tabernacle, God could have just dropped the tabernacle in front of Israel. And yet he commanded for the people to offer sacrifices to him. And this week, we see that God commanded David to purchase or to uh, procure, I should say, this property. And when God commanded the tabernacle to be built, people could have said things like, well, you know, I'm too busy or you know, um, I've worked so hard for this money. You know, why does God deserve it? Uh, I'll, I, I don't have enough money, and all the different things that Israel could have said, but they didn't. Rather, they were eager. They were excited for an opportunity to give. And if they had a lot of money, they gave gold. And last week we saw when, if they had a little bit of money, they had goats' hair. Right? They took little goats' hair and like combed their hair. I've never combed a goat's hair, but I'm yeah. And have you? And if you don't have a goat, you comb your neighbor's goat hair. But we can either choose a lifestyle like that we're eager to give, and we're creative to give, or we just don't. So if this is what the Bible means by sacrifice, then the next question it was: What does living sacrificially look like? And why does it matter, you know, to God and to one another? And there are three reasons I want to talk about. And the first is sacrifice is a sign of love and commitment. And I want to actually go through the theological backdoor on this one and talk about marriage for a second, and how it kind of helps us to understand love and commitment and sacrifice. So Ephesians five, this verse that's read at several, at many weddings, says this: Husband loves. Husbands, I can't talk anymore. The smell of the skunk is overpowering me. Husbands, love your wives, and love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Notice in the text, it says Christ loved the church, and He gave Himself up for her. That was like something that He did with His body, blood, sweat, and tears, and so forth. And He gave everything up for her, the church. Because of love. And Paul uses this passage, uh, you know, if, if there's husbands in the congregation here which and online, which I assume there are, to say that husbands, in the same way that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her, that we are to love and give ourselves up for our wives. It's not about intentions, best intentions. It's about what we do, you know. You can't say you love your wife, but sacrifice nothing, never inconvenience yourself, never go out of your way, never discomfort yourself, and so I really love my wife, but there's no sacrifice. Immediately after verse 25, Paul says in the same ways that husbands and wives, or husbands that love their wives and they're united in marriage, he says, Christ is inseparable from the church. And you're like, what? It says that in the Bible, like Christ and the church are one? Yeah, it does. (laughs) Ephesians 5.31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And he says in verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so let me put it together that we cannot say that we love Christ, but not love the church. For Christ loved the church, and it said in verse 25, that he gave himself up for her. We cannot say that we're committed to Christ and not be committed to the church, for it is his body. And friends, I understand you might come here and you might have had bad experiences with the church. Rob and I have too. I'm certainly very empathetic to that. And I never envisioned I would work again for a church. But this does not change the fundamental truth that Christ and the Church are one, and so we should not dismiss or downplay or uh, understate the importance of our sacrificial gifts of time and talents and resources to the Church, because as we give to Christ's body, we give to Christ Himself. And then, secondly, sacrifices are a en- great encouragement to others. Just think for me, with me, for a minute about all the people in the Bible who who sacrifice greatly and how that's such an encouragement to you and to me who to be. I thought about the woman, you know, um, who is probably a prostitute who'd been forgiven by Jesus. She's not named in the story of the alabaster jar, but she takes an alabaster jar. She comes in with all the Pharisees around. You know, it's a humiliating scene where they're like, she's not supposed to be here. And she breaks the jar and she uses this expensive perfume to wipe Jesus's Feet and anoint him with oil and with her tears. An act of great sacrifice. Think about people like Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who when he was forgiven or met, met Jesus and presumably was forgiven by him and so impacted by Jesus that he says, I'll give double to anybody who I've swindled. And last week we talked about the Macedonians and we talked about how they gave as a people outside out of their poverty, they gave in great abundance a great encouragement to the early church. So sacrifices, your sacrifices, mine, make a great difference, not big difference, not just to God, but to one another. Don Linscott, who again who's going to preach next week, and I hope you'll be here for that either in person or online, but he's advising us through this process, and he's a wonderful godly man, and he's taught me in our leadership so much about faith and finances and through this process. But he told this story, and I thought I'd repeat it. And it goes like this. He says, a few years ago, I conducted a campaign in a large church that wanted or that needed to relocate. And early in the campaign, a business, wealthy business person approached me. and He said, you know, I want to participate, but I travel a lot. I can't commit uh, to coming. But he said, I'm going to give $300,000, $100,000 a year. Don said, wow, thank you so much. Then later on in the campaign, Don met a young couple. Let's call them Mike and Sarah because that's their names. It's not, I'm just kidding. But they were in their mid-20s. They'd been married a year or two and uh, just started jobs and had a little apartment. But, you know, as, as people starting their careers often are, they were, you know, every dollar counted kind of thing. And this young couple, though, heard about this need for the congregation to relocate, and, um, and they responded prayerfully, and they really went home, like we talked about last week, as Israel withdrew after the command to build the tabernacle, and they withdrew, and they began to pray and began to take out their calculators and see, you know, how can we give? How can we be a part of this? And so one night, the young man um, met with Don, and he, Don says he showed me a tablet he and his wife had used to write down their commitment. And on a sheet of paper they listed three columns and under the columns were a bunch of words and 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 Mike went through each word exhaustively to the point where Don was like wow this is getting really long but the one of the last words you know Don really keyed in on it was the word iron he said what does that word mean iron and and Mike said well you know i realized i get my my clothes dry clean and it costs a fair amount of money he said i could buy an iron and i could iron my clothes and use that money to give to, what, to the Lord and what he's doing in this church. And uh, after going through the entire list, the man drew a line at the bottom of the page, and it was uh, $18,000, $6,000 a year from all these various actions and ways that they could contribute. Don continues in the story that a couple weeks later, he saw the businessman who came back again from one of his trips, and and he told... <laughs> Don, uh, he said, you know, um, this young man works for me. He's an employee. He also attends this church. Have you seen the list? And Don said, Yeah, I've seen the list. You saw the list? He said, Yeah. Well, he's my employee, and he, he was so excited to show me this list of how he and you know, I know how much he makes. He's my employee, but how he and his and Sarah came up with eighteen thousand dollars. He said, You know, I was going to give three hundred thousand. Now I'm giving a million impactful the sacrifice of a young couple and how they worked to, to, uh, to sacrifice. But the story doesn't end there. Don said, I would later learn that that wealthy businessman also had a wealthy partner who was a member of the church, and the partner learned that the businessman had given him a million dollars, and he offered $500,000. And Don concludes to his way of thinking this young man and his wife's $18,000 commitment had raised an additional $1.2 million, $700,000 from one and $500,000 from another. And this is what Don says. He says, "I see God doing the same things in Scripture. God often takes, oftentimes takes the small things and uses them to teach and to do big things." The widow's gift, for example, he says, at the temple was financially insignificant, and yet Jesus used that example to teach what real sacrifice looks like. It is costly. True giving represents not mediocrity. It represents us giving God our very best. He says, God is not so much concerned about the amount that is given, but on the amount that we could have given. Well, third and finally, sacrifices give glory to God. They put God on display. They make more of him. They magnify him. Our sacrifices, including financial ones, reveal the reality that God is in our lives. Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That's a promise that God will give us what we need to be generous And through us, your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to God. So God will be thanked. God will be honored. God will be known. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God. Others will say, man, isn't God amazing? Because God God in his sovereignty had these other people contribute to us when we were in need the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Friends, our sacrifices, again, let's not diminish them. Let's not pretend like they don't make a difference. They influence other people. They put God on display. Now, finally, before we close, I want to share just how Robin and I, the process that we have gone through in this initiative, because this is a process, and it's a challenging one, and it's a confrontational one. And it's a convicting challenge. But I looked closely at what Robin and I could eradicate financially. And we have what I'll call SLPs. Have you ever heard of an SLP? It stands for stupid little purchases. Okay? Everybody probably has an SLP or two. And Robin and I have SLPs. And, you know, it's those things that we don't really need, but we buy because we can, I guess. And secondly, Rob and I are getting rid of over $100 a month in subscriptions to things like, have you ever looked at how much subscriptions cost like on your apps and stuff? And I added all that up, like Spotify and Hulu and sports subscriptions. Anybody else have have a sports? Okay. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Thank you, Abe. So, Yeah. It's convicting. I don't see a lot of hands, you know. It's like a half a hand. These purchases look small, but when we add them up, they're well over $100 for these subscriptions. That's convicting. It's like death by a thousand cuts. Finally, we're changing the ways we've been operating in regards to food and drink, and this includes alcohol. And then that, there's that store, that moon dollars, or whatever it's called, like the coffee shop. Oh, Starbucks, yeah. So, you know, we went and got two lattes. It were 15 bucks, okay? That's convicting, you know? And so you add all three together, literally 100 for the SLPs and uh, and, 150 for the SLPs, 100 for the subscriptions and stuff, $100 for adjusting our food and drink and alcohol and so forth, and $350 a month. You times that times three years, and that's $12,600 with very little effort. I don't think a ton of sacrifice, but there's more. So then the other thing we realize is that, you know, in February 20 of 25, which sounds like a long time away, but according to my math, it's just about two years away. But, uh, you know, February, by February of 2025, we will have paid off our car, hallelujah, and a home remodeling loan. And... uh You know, both of those, again, convicting, add up to $800 a month. So we concluded that if we could give that third year to God and say, we're going to give that $800 a month of savings to the Lord. And we total all that together, and guess what? $22,200. And that's the amazing level of commitment that we want to give to this, because we believe so much in you guys and in this church. We're excited to give first and foremost to the Lord and the kingdom of what he's doing, but we're also giving because we believe God has a future for you and for us and for this city. Now, I suppose some people would say, you know, that's a little bit nuts to give that much, you know, on a pastor's income over three years. But let me ask you a question. Isn't the Lord worth it? I mean, isn't isn't he worth it? Like, hasn't he been so good to us? Hasn't he given us jobs and cars and educations and health insurance and stuff like that? Hasn't he been so good? To, isn't this just a portion of me returning to God what he deserves? Of which I should not think myself any more, but just say, God, how much more can I give? Like, like Schindler, right? At the end of Schindler's list, when he was looking at the Jews that he'd saved, and he said, yeah, but I could have saved so many more, remember that scene? How about this ring? How about this car? How many could I have saved with this car? How much more can we give, but because he deserves it? Well, I'm closing with this, that in the New Testament, there's this story of a a rich young ruler who talks with Jesus. And when challenged by Jesus to give and to be generous and to part with his stuff, The scripture says, literally, the man walked away sad. And I think those are some of the saddest verses of the Bible. The man literally walked and turned away from following the king of the universe because he could not part with his stuff. He was sad because he couldn't follow Jesus, but he was not sad enough to not be attached to the things of his life. And if anything this series should do in you and me is to ask, am I that man? Am I that man that I do not follow Jesus with all my heart because I am so allured and infatuated by stuff? Or am I like Jesus? Am I eager to be like Jesus who gave everything, his life in heaven, his comfort, his glory, his Space in heaven, his safety, his dignity, even his very breath to the glory of God. So stuff matters, and what we do with it matters. And where God places us, it matters. And the case in point of that is that threshing floor. Remember that threshing floor that God said, this is where I want you to buy land and build an altar That became the site of the temple. That became the site of where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. That became the site of the first temple and the second temple. And by the way, that became the site of the garden and Golgotha, the place where Jesus was crucified and resurrected because the garden was just, as the scripture says, a mere stone's throw from Golgotha. And so that space mattered, and it matters not just then but today And sacrifice matters, and you matter, and we matter. Let's pray.
0: Thanks for joining us for this sermon from the River Anglican Church. You can find us on the web at therivernrv.org, also on Facebook, and you can join us in person if you like on Sunday mornings at 9.15 at 110 Roanoke Street East, Blacksburg, Virginia, 24060. We hope to see you again next week.